Welcome to What Is It About With The Weather, where we're always talking weather, but not the weather. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek, and this week we're going to be talking about the dreaded cry-wolf problem. Now, I hope you've had an enjoyable and intertwined weather week. I know, well, I was woken up by nature's weather, the thunderstorms this morning, natural alarm clock, pretty early though. It was probably earlier than it should have been. And it was interesting. I got up and I was preparing to do the recording for the episode, and I found myself listening to another weather podcast. As you know, it is National Weather Podcast Month. And the topic ended up being very germane to what I was going to talk about today. So I ended up listening to this whole episode, and it was very long, um, almost a couple hours. But it was some really good information that will now find its way intertwined into what I'm talking about. It's kind of kind of tricky because they brought up some very valid points, and I don't want to get into essentially doing their podcast. And I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to it because it had some useful information for what I was talking about, but it was also one of those ones that just kind of kept me listening because the topic is also something I enjoy. It wasn't just about the cry wolf problem, but just verification of forecast and all those things. And I know for some people that just sounds really geeky, but it's a topic I enjoy about, you know, proving that what you're saying is accurate because it's not always easy to do. But this week, I guess my bigger weather entwined item was I gave midterm exam for you know my synoptic meteorology course and again this may be the only time I develop a midterm exam but it was interesting when I was a graduate student I had the opportunity you know as I was working as a teaching assistant for for classes an opportunity to I don't know develop quizzes and some answer keys for problem sets and be involved in some of those creations but never really did what I would call a full-blown exam, okay, in particularly from start to finish. I mean, I may have had thoughts or inputs or comments on it, but you know, I was thinking back as I was putting this thing together about how it, how I would have liked to have been tested um, as a student, and some of my exams I had would you know be along those lines. So I tried to incorporate those things, but it's always a delicate balance, really. You know, as a student you feel you have a certain level of knowledge and you like to be able to have an opportunity to convey that knowledge. And some of us do better with exams versus presentations and different things. So, you know, hopefully most classes give students an opportunity to express that knowledge. And again, it's not always easy in an exam setting, but I really tried to create an exam that provided that opportunity that was the right balance of um, different techniques to extract that information or, or what a student really knew. And, I don't know. It was an interesting process, and I hope that my students um, don't hate me for it. I know that I saw some cramped hands at the end of, of the exam, but as a, as a former instructor told me, as I saw them, that's a good thing, right? You know, you 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 definitely wore them out. So hopefully that uh, that was a good thing, and they felt that they, you know, again, had that opportunity to uh, demonstrate what they knew in the process of taking the exam. But enough about me and my students. Let's let's dive into the topic for this week. Do meteorologists cry wolf? That's that's the fundamental question. Now, talking about crying wolf, we, we certainly have to provide some context. The whole concept of this phrase of crying wolf comes from an Aesop fable, and the origins of the fable. Apparently, it was originally written in Greek, so they don't know the exact time or 
you know, who exactly was responsible. But, but the idea is pretty simple, right? A young boy, not real young, but let's say old enough to be accepting some responsibility. So it may have been a teenage boy or whatever. And actually, it's a little easier to understand the story if you imagine it being a teenage boy was put in charge of taking care of the flock, probably, you know, the the night shift when no one else wanted or something or whatever shit, maybe the the heat of the day or something, the shift that no one else would take, right? That's always what the newbie gets. And he was, you know, watching the sheep, getting bored as one might expect someone who's watching the sheep to, to have happen, getting bo- a little bored out of their mind and deciding, hey, you know, what can I do to keep myself entertained and, you know, trying to balance that when not losing any sheep. But one of the things he came up with to keep himself entertained is he cried wolf to see who would come. Of course, a lot of the village came out, did their thing, realized he was just making up a story. You forgive somebody the first time, right? right? You cut them a little slack, but then he kept doing it and doing it. And sooner or later, people get angry. And then probably more importantly, after the anger is people stop responding. And then, voila, of course, there was a real wolf coming and eating up the little sheep. And crying wolf, again, called it out. No one came. No one came to help when there was actually a wolf. Now, the concept of crying wolf and the idea of how it relates to meteorology is not new, but it's it's not new to many things, right? We all have these situations we can imagine in our life where where. You keep telling somebody something, and if it's not true, sooner or later, most people are going to become wary of whatever it is you're trying to warn them about. Now, some people that love you and care about you may put up with you no matter what you do. But it has this tendency to make people kind of zone you out, stop listening, stop paying attention. And there's always been this concern, if we get you know back to me, the meteorology component, weather component, that if you warn somebody too many times and it doesn't come to pass, will that make them less likely to act or respond? It's not even so much about, you know, belief per se, although believing and trusting are an element of that, but will that make them less likely to respond when it becomes important to respond? So if you warn them about the risk of a hurricane making landfall or a snowstorm coming through, or a tornado or severe weather of any kind happening, and you do it again and again, and it doesn't come to pass. Or probably, maybe even more importantly, the severity of the event is not as much as is anticipated in their mind. How does that impact them and how will they behave, right? Now, like I said, I was listening to an episode, and the, and the podcast is Weather Brains, and they they had somebody on who was a private company who had gotten into the business of doing weather warnings, right? And those weather warnings here in the U.S., and I know this varies a little bit based on location, weather warnings have traditionally been the responsibility of the National Weather Service. And there have been challenges because you got to keep in mind Back in the day when, when, let's say, a tornado warning used to be issued, it was issued once there was confirmation of a tornado. And that's fine for the people in the path, right, that still are to come. And you, you have firm confirmation of something, you know, direction, everything else, you can warn somebody. However, for the people that just lost their lives and or property, not such a good thing, right? So there's there's been this balance in 
as the evolution, you know, think about it. I mean, before there was even weather models, you couldn't even do a lot of these things. Yeah, you could say, oh, it looks like it's going to be a stormy day, but without knowing what was going on around you. So even in the scheme of things, when it comes to crying wolf with respect to meteorology, it's a it's a relatively newer thing, right? But what's been the focus for a long time was we want to provide more lead time. Right? We want to give people more advance warning. Give them information to act and to get out of harm's way, protect themselves, people they care about, their property, etc. So there's been this goal to make sure that you're not missing anything, right? And and this is, we, we get into this balance of weather warnings that are, are trying to strike the balance between probability of detection, or you'll hear it said POD or something, and this is where you're trying to make sure you capture every severe event and with as much lead time as possible. This can be particularly tricky for more immediate events, right? So longer range events, let's say a hurricane or a blizzard that's going to come through, but it may be a day or two down the road. The challenges there are usually how severe did the event end up being and did it live up to the hype or did the track alter such that a certain area didn't experience but as you narrow that time frame it's it's even about just even capturing the event and providing enough lead time because in a tornado you don't have a long time to respond so if you could have a 30 minute warning about a, a tornado for your area versus a 30 second warning that can make all the difference in the world right and that's part of what they were talking about on this podcast because it it was specifically getting into the idea of who's responsible for these warnings. And like I said, traditionally here, the National Weather Service has, has been responsible for warnings, particularly as it relates to life-threatening events or certain classified types of, of events, you know, whether you want to say it's a hurricane warning or, or severe weather. Uh, severe thunderstorm warning, etc. Now, for a long time, different companies have been getting into this game and, and starting to provide services. And again, at Georgia Tech, for instance, you know where I went to school and teach, they have been involved with a private firm that provides additional pieces of information in addition to the National Weather Service. Now, they have different responsibilities, right? Let's say they have a big crowd coming in for a sporting event and they want to make sure those people are safe. Of course, their goal is to have as much information as they can to make that decision. But still, the people making the decision and providing the warnings are the are people that hopefully understand and are able to discern different pieces of information, incorporate those different pieces of information to make a final decision. But where we come into it's kind of the fine lines, and this is what they were getting into, was how about when the public is getting this information because this company was starting to sell their services to television stations and this was the the question was when that television station presents information that may not be consistent with the national weather service information which most again media sources here in the US uses their primary base for the severe warning type scenarios when do things get muddled and actually cause more confusion and harm? And this gets into the whole cry wolf thing because now they've even lost control of who's crying wolf in some respects because they've got multiple sources that might be telling them the same thing. But let's get back 
for a moment. You know, let's let's narrow in. And, and again, that was an interesting dialogue, and I'd recommend this podcast. If this is a topic that interests you and you, you want to understand how meteorologists are really trying to deal with this topic, it's a great thing to listen to, and we'll, we'll come back to that at the end. But like I said, we as meteorologists, we have this challenge, right? And it's, and it's big right now where I am. This is severe weather month, right? And the goal of people creating these alerts, whether it is the National Weather Service or even these private firms, I, I, I will say that I, I believe that everybody's interest is about saving lives and property. Now, you could argue that the private companies who are for-profit companies, that by doing that, they're enhancing their credibility and that people will trust them and pay them to do these things. But I still think fundamentally, even the meteorologists who work for those groups, and certainly I know the ones that work for um, organizations where profit is not the focus, it's about saving lives and then secondarily about saving property and, and important things to people. So there's always this balance about probability detection, making sure we see as many of the events as possible, and reducing what we call FAR, or false alarm rates. Okay. But one of the challenges with that is the research has been inconsistent, and sometimes I think it does depend on the type of events, that where that balance is, and if we hear cry wolf too much with weather, how much does it really change our behavior? And this is kind of an interesting thing, is maybe people don't look at when people issue weather forecasts and might get it wrong as crying wolf. And that may be true, I think, to some extent. I, certainly you, you reach a threshold where anybody, you know, if someone tells you there's going to be a tornado at every day and there's never a tornado of course, you're going to stop listening to them. But I don't, I don't think that's necessarily what's going on. And read a lot of papers. There's a lot of things that have been written about this, especially in the last, let's say, 10 to 15 years. And a very recent one kind of hit the point that it's, it's interesting. I was reading an article written about this article because they, you know, they interviewed a couple of people. But the research showed that if you kept telling people something was going to happen and it didn't happen to the way that they they felt that you were conveying the message that you had a tendency to start ignoring what they were saying and not necessarily response. However, on the flip side of that, the flip side is that again, this kind of assumes starting from a base zero that if you went from, let's say an average amount of, you know, sometimes you got it right. Sometimes you didn't. And you drastically improved that people didn't necessarily become more responsive. And this gets into this whole idea of who do we trust? And at some point, Certain people are always going to question you, no matter what you say, right? And others are going to always believe you, no matter what you say. And we see this in, in life in general, right? If you have a certain idea in your head that meteorologist A on channel B is your favorite meteorologist, you're always going to listen to what they say. And you're going to forgive them when they have errors. Because the, the idea, again, is that it's not like they're always going to get it wrong, I mean, we know that weather's not a, a perfect science. And you're going to probably forgive them for being a little more conservative because we all have these tendencies to be a little more conservative or liberal in our the way we convey things. And this holds true in meteorology as well. So you could argue, and I think it's actually very true, that I don't think meteorologists ever cry wolf. Now, I could say that there's some people on social media and some what I would call 
non-accredited, and, and accreditation is, is a tricky term, right, but not educated formal meteorologists that say some crazy things all the time to get clicks and likes. And this can work itself into broadcast meteorology, and that was, again, part of the topic. There's this fine line of, are you saying something and hyping something purely for more more people watching you or more people clicking share or whatever it might be? And I think we're actually at a point where we might start seeing more of that because trying, you know, you know, let's let's step back and even think about this podcast. If I were doing this podcast purely to make money and it was my only source of income, I might have to take a different approach and step out there on a ledge a little more and be a little more controversial or whatever it might be because that's what draws in a larger audience. And that would in turn potentially lead to, whether it's advertisers or people paying for it, more people willing to do it. The things we pay for, right, are are not usually the boring and the mundane. We like to be entertained, even, even when it's things that are serious. So there is this delicate fine line. And as we see more people trying to bridge into this thing, I do think we're at a potential crossroads of where does this go from here, right? Now, that said up to this point, there's always examples of hyping any news story and weather stories become that. But I think quite often that a lot of the hype and, and over-exaggeration, at least in the in the media sense, can quite often happen after an event if it didn't live up to expectations or there's claims that people weren't warned, which usually is not the case if you look at the evidence. I, that's one of those things that drives me nuts. There was a big controversy about, I think it was, it, one of the major news sources, and I, I'm not going to get into name-calling here, um, where there was a big severe weather outbreak with tornadoes, and, you know, they millions of people in danger and they were not warned and it just couldn't have been further from the truth. So we always have to look at those things, but, but again, it gets into this balance of, I want to have as many pods. (laughs) Okay. That's, you know, and as few fars as possible. And every meteorologist wants that. But I think the more credible meteorologist, you're always going to find them doing a little bit of leaning towards more fars for the sake of saving even a life. Because no matter what, if, if, if they're doing it for the right reasons, if, if they're in that profession, they're doing it at some end of day to save a life and to save property. Uh, again, this gets into people that are dealing with severe weather at all. If you're not dealing, if you're just dealing with run of the mill, let's say an energy forecast or that thing, but it's the same sort of thing. It's still, it's still relevant there. I mean, all this comes down to, and this was one of the first books I got into when I was getting back into changing my career and getting into meteorology was an economics element, right? So most decisions we make, there's a cost-loss component. Now, how we define the cost and the loss is going to be different for every type of life event, but it's still, I mean me having to take action and losing time out of a day to deal with something, that's a cost. I mean, I may not have shelled money out of my pocket, but it may have kept me from doing other things I wanted to do. But on the flip side, the loss incorporates the risk and how much loss actually happens. 
And of course, all these are in the end influenced by personal experiences. I can tell you that anybody that's ever experienced a hurricane or a tornado, that's going to influence how they respond because I've heard people tell stories, well, we survived hurricane whatever, and so we decided not to leave, thinking it couldn't be any worse, and maybe it was. But on the flip side, someone might be who's ever experienced a tornado is going to be more prone to seek shelter and is willingly going to do that even though they they probably very well know there's a good chance that the tornado is not likely to hit them again and again and again. But it's worth the potential because they know how lethal they can be. So we take those personal experiences and again incorporate them into whatever our cost-loss equation looks like because you know some of us are more emotional responders some of us are more pragmatic whatever it might be but all those define our equation and I think in the end like I said that meteorologists as a rule of thumb are never trying to cry wolf okay the the good news also is as we are refining our techniques an example here in the U.S. is traditionally we had counties and for those that that aren't familiar with the kind of the geographic borders in the U.S. you know you might have communities in other areas but but smaller geographic areas and the warnings would go up based on those geographies and for times when those counties are bigger areas there might be people that are getting a warning that there's no chance that they're going to be impacted. And that's that's part of the trick, and that's where these private companies are getting the equation. But even the National Weather Service has gone to what we call a polygon layout, where they're really trying to show they look at the trajectory of a storm and what the real risk is downstream and issue warnings based on that. So everybody, and that's been the good news generally speaking, is one of the biggest changes probably in the last five to seven years is even with the National Weather Service, they've recognized that you don't want to desensitize people to acting. And they've worked to refine it so that, again, they're still capturing the severe events. And again, giving as much lead time as they can. But they're trying to minimize the potential that they're alerting pe- over-alerting people. But probably more important than the over-alerting of people, and that's what I was reading about and listening to this podcast, is the confusion in methods is where people get, they get more angst from events like that because they feel like multiple sources were telling them different ways to act and respond. And that, that can make the false alarm particularly or actually what's even worse if something does impact them, it can make them lose trust as well. Even though they heard about a warning from one source because not all the sources agreed, they get angst because they feel like they're given disinformation and done a disservice. So this all gets into this balance, and that was one of the challenging things is this company who their product is now being used by a local television station. The their whole goal they sell their service and traditionally they sell it to individuals now an individual who buys a bunch of sources or looks a bunch of sources hopefully knows what to do with that information but when you throw one more thing out to the public that's not consistent with things they would have heard in the past that can get really dangerous right so we've always got to look at you know and this will continue to be a question who is responsible for that warning and is there opportunity for multiple sources to be that? Yet, how do you make sure that 
it's communicated in a way that, yeah, again, if I'm buying a service, I know that they may issue something different. That may be exactly why I'm paying for it, whether it's as an individual or as a company who buy a lot of these services. Yet, if somebody's indirectly providing it, and this is, this is the question, right, is does that service have a responsibility to the public given that their product's being used by a public, even though they'll tell you that the client is the television station that's bought the product? Interesting question. I think in the end, for all of us, whether it's me or you, and, and, and this was one of the fundamental things as well, is uncertainty needs to accompany the forecast, and that needs to be part of the communication method, message. But this gets in a tricky thing. If you're looking at three sources and each of them are giving you different uncertainty of where that blizzard's going to come through and are you in the line or could you not see any of it at all and who do you trust on all that? So I think all of us have to do the following. One, have a primary source that you always trust. And, and again, for each of us, that's going to be different who it is. Always have backups. okay, And don't be afraid to use multiple sources. But as I've been mentioning before, look for people that are properly conveying to you the uncertainty of events so you can make wise decisions as the time frame narrows on when you have to make those decisions. I look at it this way as well. If I'm in an area with a tornado or severe thunderstorm warning, and that might impact an hour of my life, I always say, you know what? It's better to be safe than sorry. However, if I'm looking at something that's a it's a hurricane and it's going to be days away and those sort of things, you might make different decisions. And, you know, when do you have to decide by and what's your action plan uh, as you get closer and, and the events becoming more clear and same thing with blizzards and everything else. And, and, and that could be the same for businesses that are responding to this as well. But one, have a, have a, a source you really trust. Two, consider multiple sources. Three, look for forecasts that provide you that uncertainty slash probability. And I know I've, I always hear from people when I talk about this issue, they don't want to hear that. They want somebody to give them a definitive answer. You're not going to get one. So stop thinking you're going to. And that doesn't mean you have to go out and look for the, like I might with all these probabilities and things I'm, I look at it the way I might, but that shouldn't stop you from seeking sources that say, there's a real risk of tornadoes today. However, it's in this sort of area of the spectrum, which means you should be cognizant, but don't freak out about it necessarily. Yet at the same time, if they're saying there's a high chance of significant tornado activity in my area for the, for today, and there's a real chance that, you know, some part of the area you're living in is going to see at least one tornado, if not multiple tornadoes. You should think differently about how cognizant and how close you are to the sources throughout the day to make sure you're being kept updated. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit more when we talk about um, in next week's episode about alerts and how we keep people alerted in this day and age with severe weather. So we'll we'll kind of continue this topic. But like I said, if, if you're interested in, in this and really want to hear some different meteorologists, again, from National Weather Service, some broadcast meteorologists who really dove into this with somebody from one of these private companies and a social science person all on the same podcast because they did a big panel about this, 
All right. People coming at it from different angles. Then, uh, like I said, I'll put a link in the show notes to the Weather Brains episode. But it was, again, just for, if you want to go look at it, it was not this latest episode. It was last week's episode, and they record early in the week. So their last episode of February. Check it out. And that's a reminder. It is National Weather Podcast Month. They're one of the podcasts that are participating in this. And I am, at the end of the month, going to go through kind of all of them so that you understand a little bit more about which ones that might be a fit for you and topics that might be of interest to you. But Weather Brains is kind of what I would call the the grandparent of weather podcasts. They're, they're certainly, I don't know if they were the first, um, but they certainly have been around the longest. And, it, and it's a great group of, of very seasoned meteorologists, and they tend to bring in topics. And I know some of my audience doesn't like to get into really digging into the weather as much and sometimes they can do that so but but this episode again if this topic is of interest to you this is an episode it's a longer episode for them but it's well worth a listen to so i do recommend that all right let's wrap up this week and let you get on your way and just remember like i said very simple premise have a primary trusted source consider having multiple sources that fill out the picture for you okay and look for people that help capture the uncertainty of a situation fairly for you so that you can be making an educated decision, whether it's more of a, of a saving property type event, but particularly when you're saving your lives and always err on caution. That's what I would tell anybody. That's not crying wolf. That's just being smart. Okay. You'll know if someone's crying wolf and it really doesn't happen that often. So there you have it. Another week in the books. Like I said, next week we'll pick up this topic a little bit more. We talk about how we do keep people alerted and what's going to be the right way to do it going forward as more people are carrying mobile devices and watching TV less in some cases, yet depends on the generation you're in, etc. As always, thanks for listening. You can get hold of us via email if you want to give feedback, thoughts, comments, show suggestions, whatever it might be, at whatisitabouttheweather at gmail.com. Of course, you can go to the website. What is it about the weather.com? And you can use the contact form if you prefer that sort of tool to reach out. And, you know, of course, learn more about following us on the various social media platforms, whichever ones you might enjoy. Keep in touch with the podcast that way. And always, thanks, folks, for how you support the podcast. You, you know, we use the RSVP method rate, share, validate, and pledge. But in every way, whatever way you're supporting the podcast is greatly appreciated. Just remember as you go forward in this week and as you're surviving as we move into severe weather season and enjoying other weather podcasts that are part of the National Weather Podcast Month, just remember, as always, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. We're tired of hearing our uncle grovel, so please support him on patreon.com slash weather. This is your two white sofa production.